welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Well, today's message is focused on a topic that's not spoken about very much in churches these days, the wrath of God. Yes, my friend, the wrath of God, and you might be surprised by what the Bible teaches about it. But make no mistake, God is a God of love. In fact, God is love. But really, both characteristics go together. Imagine someone you love dearly is suffering with a dreadful fatal disease. Is it not reasonable and expected that you should experience anger against that awful disease that's destroying them? It is your love that makes your wrath so strong. Well, the wrath of God is like that. The solemn truth of it all, though, is that God's wrath is not only future, but we experience its effects in our lives already. In fact, John chapter 3 and verse 36 says this, that it abides on unbelievers. But this great Bible chapter also gives us the truth of how God is holding back his wrath and wants to show us his love, his love for us. And here we read John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We hope that you will take today's message very seriously and will turn to God's great provision for sin the Lord Jesus Christ. The last verse of John chapter 3, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God abideth on him. Not the wrath of God will abide on him, Not the wrath of God will be experienced by him. The wrath of God abideth on the person who doesn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. It presently abides on him. It means, my dear friend, tonight, whoever you are, if you are not saved from the penalty of your sins, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, the wrath of God currently is abiding on you. You are, the Bible says, condemned already. I meet people who say, well, you know, preacher, one day, I guess I'll have to face up to God and I'll just explain I did the best I could and I did this. Listen, it's too late. The person who doesn't believe is condemned already. That is the natural position. The natural position for a person just like you and me is that on account of the sins we have personally committed, we are under the condemnation of a righteous God. That condemnation must bring wrath. And that's why you need to be saved. You need to be saved away from that. You need to be delivered from that. That's the urgency of the gospel. It's not a case of, well, let's just see how it all pans out. Let's just see, you know, I mean, if this God is a God of love, well... 
Well, you know, you're telling me all this stuff, but you know, one day I'll just be able to explain. No, this is God's word. And he says that the unrepentant sinner is already condemned. The unrepentant sinner has the wrath of God abiding on him. It's just a question of when it will fall. Not if, when. That's your position, my dear friend, if you are still in your sins. But the gospel is the message by which you can be righteously delivered from that wrath, saved from it, and to know that your sins are forgiven. To know it with absolute assurance. This is a great message, isn't it? The wrath of God abideth on him. The gospel message is a message which, if I may read to you from Romans chapter 1, it's a message that reveals things. The first thing that is revealed to us in the gospel of the grace of God, according to verse 17 of Romans chapter 1, therein, the subject is the gospel of Christ, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So this message we're preaching tonight now is not some kind of message that says, this is how you get church membership, or this is how you can make good progress in your life. God has given this message so that first and foremost, men and women who are in a rebellious state against him can understand that he's a God of righteous standards. So the standard you must meet is not mine. It's certainly not society's standard. It's God's standard. Could I impress upon you tonight, my dear friend, whoever you are, that you as an individual person who owes your breath, your very life to the living God of heaven, You tonight stand as an individual exposed to the righteous judgment and wrath of that living God. That's where you are right now. And this gospel message, the first thing it must do is reveal the righteousness of God. Not just that God is right, but that he's righteous in his judgment. You see, there's people who say, well, if God is this God of love, I mean, you know, there's no way he's going to really judge a sinner for eternity, is there? I mean, he wouldn't do that, would he? And people who say that, they might be well-intentioned, but really what they're doing is they're saying, you know, God has to abide by my standard. I think that would be unfair. So if I think that that's unfair, well, God has got to abide by what I say. Oh, no, 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 no. The gospel message reveals the righteousness of God, not only that he is intrinsically right, His is the holy standard, but that God is therefore righteous in condemning the sinner. Because the sinner owes his life to God, the sinner was made with a purpose that he might glorify God, and he manifestly doesn't do it. Therefore God is righteous in judging the sinner. The thought of divine judgment might be unpalatable, but my dear friend, if it were not the case that the righteous judgment of God is suspended over every unregenerate person, We wouldn't be needing to preach a salvation. We need that salvation because we're under the judgment of God. Secondly, the Bible tells me in verse number 18 of this chapter that the wrath of God is already being revealed from heaven. You say, well, how's that? Well, just note these things, if you would, please. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold, that is, who suppress, who hold down the truth 
in unrighteousness. So what attracts the wrath of God? Well, all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. But what particularly attracts the wrath of God is that when men suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. See, God never sets a man a riddle. People like puzzles, people like riddles. But God never sets a man a puzzle. God reveals things. When God reveals something, he gives the person to whom he reveals it the capacity to receive that revelation. And Romans chapter 1 says that God has revealed tremendous things about himself and he's done it through the work of creation. So God uses the very things he has made to reveal things about himself. But what has happened? Well, what has happened is that men who suppress the truth have changed all this. In fact, three things they have changed, according to this chapter. Verse 23, they change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, to four-footed things. This is speaking about idolatry, in the physical open sense. Where men, instead of worshipping the God of creation, they've started to worship the created thing. So that the person who bows down to an idol is not seeking after God, he's rejected God. That's what this chapter is saying. He has changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. Now when men change things willfully that God has said, God reacts. What does he do? Verse 24 says, Wherefore, as a consequence of this, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own soul. So now, from time to time, I visit countries where idolatry is open and rife, and there is a certain lifestyle that goes with that. Desperately corrupt, corrupt government, corrupt family life, corrupt morals. Everything is corrupt. Things are filthy physically. Things are filthy morally. Why? The wrath of God is being revealed. Currently. And men are living debased and debauched lives and they are living witness today to the fact that the wrath of God is already being visited upon them. They changed something that God very clearly showed them and as a result, God gave them over to that kind of life. In verse 25, they changed the truth of God into a lie. Worshipping and serving the created thing more than the creator. The youngsters here today, the children especially, I suppose if Canada is anything like the UK, are being taught in schools the lie of evolution as though it's a fact. In fact, in the UK now, there are very prominent people who demand that it not be presented anymore as a theory, but as a fact established. What have they done? They have changed the truth of God into a lie. Does God react to that? Yes, he does. Verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Do we see that in Western society today? Absolutely. So can you see that the reason why there are certain sins that are rampant, it's not because necessarily men are getting any worse, But God is already visiting this world in his wrath. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. When men change things, 
deliberately and willfully to reject God, God reacts. Why are we going through these? My friend, I want you to understand that the Bible is real and the Bible is true and the Bible is explaining right now the things that you can see for yourself. Because in this world today where man glorifies himself and refuses to acknowledge God as God, he is taking divine things and changing them and overturning them and God is reacting. And there would be those who would say, well, there might be some truth in what you're saying, preacher, but you know, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Well, the Bible has something to say to you then. I think you would agree we haven't the time, neither would it be appropriate to read down through those final verses of Romans chapter 1, but they are an excellent commentary on the state of society today. And I'm sure every one of you, if we read through that, you would say, when the summary and the conclusion is reached that God says, they which commit such things are worthy of death, that is the result of present unfolding of divine wrath against men. Because men change the truth of God, God deals with them. He gives them over to what they want. And there's men and women in this world today, and they hate themselves for their behavior. And they can't break from it. And they despise themselves for what they're actually doing. And they are, they are living evidence that they are suffering now the wrath of God because they have already changed the truth of God into a lie. Awful, isn't it? And you'd say, preacher, I'm thankful I'm not like that. Okay. You think God is righteous to judge people who take his revelation of truth and who deliberately change it and distort it? You think God is righteous to judge them? Assuming you agree. Let me read you a verse from Romans chapter 2. Verse 3 says, Thinkest thou this, O man that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? You know, to the very people to whom Paul wrote, this would have been like a smack between the eyes. He's been speaking about the heathen in chapter 1, and now he's speaking about the hypocrite. And soon in this chapter he's going to go on and speak about the Hebrew the man who boasts in the law. And he's saying to these people, would you judge them? Do you think they're worthy of condemnation? Oh, yes. Well, he says, do you think you'll escape the judgment of God? You condemn them, you do the same things yourselves. They say, we never did. We've never done any of those things that are listed there in those verses. Ah, Paul says, follow it back. These things in these verses are only the symptoms of the real problem. The real problem is, verse 21 of chapter 1, when they knew God, that is, when they recognized the revelation of God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. That's where it all came from. So you might judge those people for what they're doing, but what they're doing is only the symptom of the fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem is that knowing what God says to them, they refuse to accept it, and they refuse to acknowledge God, and they're not thankful. And so Paul says to them in chapter 2, you're exactly the same. You might not be doing the same deeds as they are, but in heart you're exactly the same. Rebelling against God, refusing to take God at his word. And there's people in this room tonight like that. People in this room tonight, maybe young ones, maybe older ones, and you know, you have heard the gospel preach before that you are a sinner 
in rebellion against God. That God is righteous and he must judge that. And that God commands, I'm thinking of Paul's preaching in Acts chapter 17, God commands all men everywhere to repent. He commands it. The living, glorious God of eternity. Are you still unrepentant? You're refusing to acknowledge God. And you're unthankful for the very goodness of God, which chapter 2 says, you are despising the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. It's a terrible state to be in, isn't it? If you're not saved tonight, my dear friend, you're lost. Now, do you understand that much? If you are not saved because there has been a time in your life when you have consciously had dealings with God in relation to your sins, where you have honestly repented of those sins and confessed them and put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. If you have never done that, you're still in your sins. If you have never done that, you're still under divine condemnation. You're still under divine wrath. And you might sit, and I'm speaking respectfully, but you might sit and privately condemn people whose lifestyle shows that they are manifestly in the grip of sin. You might sit in judgment upon them, but listen to the word of God. Thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Not the same deeds, but the same attitude of heart, that will not acknowledge God as God, that will not bow the knee, that will not repent, that makes you no different in the sight of God from the heathen of chapter 1. What will the outcome be? Let me read you a verse from Second Thessalonians and chapter 1. Paul is speaking to Thessalonian Christians who are suffering a degree of persecution and he speaks to them about the fact that it is a righteous thing with God to repay, to take vengeance upon those who are troubling them. And he says in verse 7 of Second Thessalonians 1, To you who are being troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance, that is, executing wrath on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I don't know what you think about these things. My dear friends, we haven't got time to be silly and we haven't got time to mess about. If you're still in your sins, you are on the brink of an eternity in hell. Is that clear enough? And you need to be saved from that. And the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave his life in agony and blood to provide the means for you being saved from that. And God speaks to you tonight in his righteous, holy standards, and he says you have sinned and you deserve to be judged, but I will righteously save you from the penalty of your sins if you will repent and believe the gospel. And what do you say? I'm thankful before God that it's not my responsibility to try and get us to understand our deep sense of need before God. That is such a great work that only the Spirit of God can do it. This isn't a sermon. This isn't religion. It's about your soul and the wrath of God abiding upon you if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I believe in him. You told me about him. I believe in him. No, no. We're speaking tonight about those who repenting of their sins 
cast themselves upon the mercy of God and recognize that only the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he did at Calvary is sufficient to save my soul. It means you have to come to an end of yourself. No excuses, no ifs, no buts. I have to take my place as a sinner, guilty as charged before God. Recognize I am utterly and totally exposed to that divine wrath. It's not a question of if it will fall, but when. Here's a when. It's not the whole thing, because really the whole thing will be when in Revelation chapter 20, there's a great white throne set up. And every person who died in their sins will appear before the Lord Jesus Christ as their judge. No, what we've read about in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 is an event which could easily happen in, in the near future. First of all, the Lord Jesus very soon is going to come to the air and take home to heaven every person whose faith and trust is in him. Could easily be tonight, you know. But you know, for those who are left, there will be an unfolding of divine judgment over those years that staggers belief. When God, his patience exhausted, finally begins to deal with men as men deserve to be dealt with. Oh, how many of us have prayed that that great nation across the border, I and this one too, would see that the goodness and the long-suffering of God is leading them to repentance. They don't repent, do they? They sneer at the idea of a God to whom they have to answer. Is that what you like in your heart? There will be an unfolding of divine wrath upon this world that absolutely beggars belief. And at the end of it all, the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that you? And no, you'll not bow your heart and you'll not bow your knee before Christ as Lord. And you won't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lovely verse, isn't it? Wasn't the verse used to lead me to a saving knowledge of Christ back on August the 15th in 1963? The Lord used Isaiah 53 and verse 5 for that. But I remember one night sitting with a person across in the province of Northern Ireland. They wanted to be saved and they, they simply, they said they just couldn't wrap their head around the whole size of the thing until they saw from that lovely verse that on God's part, it's all about loving and giving. And on man's part, it's about believing and having. God so loved, he gave that whosoever believeth shall have. Isn't it wonderful? The free gift of God in salvation. But you must repent. You must repent. Because, my dear friend, tonight, if you do not repent of your sins and believe the gospel, then the wrath of God abides on you. There's no escape. It is already there. You need to be saved from that. And you can be saved from that if you repent and believe the gospel. Yes, John chapter 3 and verse 16. What a wonderful way to end our message today. God loved and God gave. Salvation has been planned and initiated by God. 
Christ has died to put away sin. He has borne the awful wrath of God. So what is our portion in the last part of that verse? We believe, and we have. Yes, we can have everlasting life through believing God's verdict and trusting Christ. Come to Christ today and receive God's free gift of salvation, won't you? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.